we could build and do and compete um, in a way that a traditional fintech or insurtech needs to, uh, you know, truly with a technology first mindset, right? And the technology first doesn't mean replacing people, it means empowering them. Hello, my name is Luke Eaton and welcome to the Seed Scaling So Far podcast. Uh, in this episode, we are going to be having a deep dive into a very interesting explosive part of the fintech sector, in particular insurtech. Uh, we're going to be talking with a company called Milo, which is a Kansas City headquartered insurtech company. It's revolutionizing the insurance industry just now for small business owners and for individuals. They were founded in 2015. They were backed by Lockton Insurance as well as Guggenheim Partners, and they have won a ton of awards on their growth journey, uh, including the FinTech Breakthrough Award in 2021 in InsurTech. And last year, they were named by Forbes as one of America's best startup employers. So we had such a good time chatting about that uh, in uh, our conversation. I had a great conversation with Dave Embry, uh, Milo's CEO, on his approach to building that team why he thinks Milo stands out as a startup employer of choice and how he as CEO partners with his wider talent and people team. Uh, I really like this chat with David. I found it super interesting, in particular, his background in traditional insurance and now how he has uh, moved into the, sort of the tip of the spear of insure, the insure tech space. Uh, I really enjoyed the chat and I hope you enjoy it too. David, um, so happy to have you on the Seed Scaling So Far podcast. Um, really, really appreciate your time. I've been really looking forward to this call. Um, I feel I've got about three hours worth of questions for you, so I'm going to have to try and condense it for the sake of your time. Um, I really want to kind of get into your background. Um, definitely want to talk a lot about Milo and, and obviously the scaling side of the of, of your journey there but also just in sure tech in general. It's such an exciting space. So feel free to cut me off if, uh, if you have to go and uh, if you have to go and I'm just constantly asking you questions, um, I'm probably just getting a bit too excited. Um, but let, let's start with you, yourself, David. Um, you know, what, for our listeners, you know, could you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your career so far? Yeah, sure, great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on today, Luke. I appreciate it. Look forward to the conversation. So my name, uh, I'm David Embry. I'm the CEO of Milo. I was a founder of what ultimately became Milo. Uh, prior to that, I was in the fintech space, right? I worked for JP Morgan. I built a 401k business, um, ultimately left there when they combined it with a couple other businesses to um, right, get scale, really. And um, did a little stint with a company called SelectQuote, which is another tech. Uh, met the folks at Lockton, and then really pitched the idea that ultimately became Milo. We've been at it for about uh, five or six years and uh, learned a lot, uh, done some really cool things, right? Learned some things uh, that we done some things we wish we would have done better. Uh, but really, uh, you know, we're uh, here surviving, thriving, growing, and, and glad to be here. Fantastic. And it's good to have that support, right? Um, you know, organizations like Lockton are just so, so good for, uh, for supporting uh, the early stage businesses at, at that stage. Um, and in terms of Milo itself, so uh, a lot of our lists are Europe-based, uh, so it'd be good to get an understanding of what Milo does in the insurance space. Yeah, it's really simple, right? We are an InsureTech digital broker, which means that we um, take clients from um, ecosystems or other clients that have a uh, need to buy insurance, right? We collect as little information as we possibly can, right? Because nobody likes to buy insurance. And we uh, make a recommendation in terms of what coverage you need, what carrier you should go to, 
um, and then it buys on additional products, right? Our platform offers access to commercial lines insurance, personal lines insurance. Uh, uh, so that would be for your commercial lines insurance would be uh, like a BOP, general liability, professional liability for your small business, right? So we focus on small businesses. Um, in addition to commercial lines, uh, property casualty, we do small group benefits. So not only do we do, uh, do we insure your business, we can also provide coverage for benefits for small employers, right? On the personal line side, uh, we offer home, auto, umbrella, boats, cars, et cetera. Um, and then we have some additional products, life insurance, um, individual health insurance, uh, Medicare, that we have some partners that we fulfill through. And the idea for us, when we go to a partner, a channel partner, uh, who has you know thousands, tens of thousands, or even millions of clients who potentially need insurance is that we can be the insurance extension for them. We embed our capabilities in their customer experience. We get information from them um, in terms of uh, information about the individual or small business. So we don't have to ask things we should already know. And then we make that recommendation inside their ecosystem. Um, and as their business needs change, or as they need additional insurance, right? We can fulfill that on our platform using technology to make it an awesome experience. That's really interesting to me. The, the, what interests me, I've worked in num numerous fintechs. I currently work a lot with Klarna. And for me, are, are, we, are we talking about a technology company? Are we talking about a financial services company? Like, the, it seems to me the disruptive piece is that customer-centric bit of make their lives easier, and then, then it's going to be useful for your partners and your channel partners, right? So how does that, how does that work with Milo? You, do you see yourselves as a tech company, or do you see yourselves as a sort of an extension of financial uh, services? It's really tech-enabled, right? And technology can make life easier. Right, it can make it can allow people to have better recommendations. If the last couple of years have proved anything, right, they've proved that if given the choice, and it's a good choice, right, people would prefer to interact or buy or will interact or buy um, online. And when we say digital, we don't mean just completely online. We've got a call center that takes lots of phone calls. But the thing that it does is it makes the experience better for the consumer. As I said before, like nobody likes to buy insurance. It's the worst investment you can ever make, right? You spend all of this money over time. And the best thing that can happen is you never use the thing you buy, right? Yeah. And so when you talk to somebody, if, whether it's an agent or online or our agent or an uh, uh, independent agent, and you go to them and they, if anybody asks you what coverage do you need, right, your response is, I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. Right. That's why I'm talking to you. Right. So we can make a better recommendation in terms of coverage. And then because of the breadth that we have um, initially, because of the backing from Lockton, where we have access to all of these markets uh, and different carriers, and we know what their appetite is. We know what appetite we're presenting from the potential insured. And then we make a recommendation in terms of not only here's the coverage you need, but here's the best match. Uh, from uh, a carrier that has the risk appetite where you're going to get good value and will take care of you over time, right? That is what we do. And if we can shorten that transaction from, you know, a, a two-hour transaction where you have to fill a bunch of information out and back and forth, et cetera, uh, to something that's very simple where we can gather information, make an intelligent recommendation, um, and the consumer can ultimately leave um, or small business owner can ultimately leave feeling like they got good advice um, and a good value, right? You solve the problem for the consumer, the small business owner, 
but you're also solving the, solving the problem for a channel partner who has clients that come uh, to us and uh, needing insurance, right? They're getting insurance from somebody, yeah, right? And if that, if our channel partner can provide access to someone like us, right, that's a great thing for them because they're not only um, solving a problem for their client, they're doing it in their own ecosystem. So they get the credit for bringing our expertise to their clients. Yeah, so you can see how, this is such a universal consumer experience, as you, as you say. No one likes the experience. I've got insurance in the UK. It's so used so quickly in touch with third-party solutions. Like, I, I would look for car insurance, and then within 10 minutes, I'm, I've got three separate insurers on the phone to me who I didn't want to speak to in the first place. Are they going to keep calling me? Is this something I'm going to do every time I need insurance? I could. You, it's so universal, that experience, and I can see how... Uh, yeah such an appetite for my role and, and that's a fundamental difference right whenever our clients our channel partner clients so these big companies that have access to you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands millions of um of consumers individuals or small businesses when they send it to us like we don't ship it to somebody else mm. they're not getting five phone calls like we do that that's what they're hiring us to do and so the breadth and depth and expertise that we bring is really part of the differentiation um, and we use technology to integrate with our partners, to integrate with the carriers, right? To ask fewer questions, to grab information from the public domain so that we can make it a better customer experience. Fantastic. And I, I was just looking at some of the uh, the background information for, for Milo there. And I suppose that's part of the reason you won, you've won some awards recently. The, if we're getting this right, please tell me if I've got this, if I've got this right. The FinTech Breakthrough Award for 2021 for InsureTech Innovation. Was that an award you recently won? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've done a good job. And, you know, we've been very lucky or I should be very proud of our, our team for being recognized for the thing that we're trying to do, right? Insurance is hundreds of years old, right? And um, like the insure tech boom, right, really is, um, you know, one of the last things, right? My prior life, I was in the retirement business. So in the U.S., we call it 401k, right, or defined contribution. Um, and it's that intersection of technology and financial services, Right, it was very similar. Like what's happening in InsureTech um, happened in the retirement business, you know, 15 years ago. It happened in, or maybe 20 years ago. It happened in, uh, you know, like HR, human resources, technology, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Right, mm -hmm. and insurance is just more complex, right? Because you've got more differentiation. Insurance is a lot of things, and especially for small transactions, for um, individuals or small businesses, right? Using technology to make that a better thing is really the reason that we, uh, you know, that we exist. So that's, that's really interesting. I mean, you, you say the complexity. I, when, when I work with fintechs, they, they look at themselves, I, I, I think, a lot. Uh, it's, it's relatively standard that they see themselves as a software organization and the, the financial services element is a, a use case or a problem that they're solving with technology. And I think that's why a lot of traditional banks, you know, that, that those first layer one sort of fintechs, that your Monzo banks and so on, I think that's why they're just beating the hell out of all of the traditional banks. They just can't think in, in that agile, iterative, super fast, uh, innovating way. Um, whereas the, the, a technology organization that applies itself to finance certainly can. Um, so I'm always stoked to sort of hear from the inside out, you know, what 
what that journey is like. Um, I'll probably like circle back to some of that because it is a kind of a keen interest. Yeah, but I'm sure. to know about um, just the just the scaling side of it. So you, you've obviously had a huge amount of success. You know, see you're in the game of enabling that that those hyper growth businesses, and we know full well. The, the, the growth challenges, the people's challenges. So I'd love to know, you know, what, what did Milo look like from day one? Where are you now? And just what was that scaling journey like for you? Yeah, I mean, Milo looked like me, right? It was actually called <laughs> Lockton Marketplace the day we started. And we incubated inside a business that Lockton had um, until we, you know, we had a basic thesis on what we wanted to do. And we learned some stuff and, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, figured out we needed to have our own technologists in terms of, you know, working for us. And we were able to grab a whole team of those people uh, about a year in, um, you know, spun it out of that business, right? Rebranded from Lockton Marketplace to Milo, um, owned our own customer experience, right? And, and Milo does really two things. One, right, we want to make smart recommendations, right? We grew out of a, an organization um, called Lockton. Right, which is the world's largest independently held insurance broker. Uh, but we couldn't be like within Lockton, right? Because they're a big company, right? So um, as we spun out, Milo was at its own place. We had our own engineers. Um, we had to attract and, and retain folks that wanted to work in a um, high volume, high energy, right? Startup, right? Which is different than a traditional company. I worked for JP Morgan for a long time. And this was very, very different just in that pace that we move and the things that we were trying to do. Um, and then we went out and got outside investment uh, from uh, Guggenheim and a couple others um, mm-hmm. a number of years ago, right? So having um, somebody else that was on our cap table that brings fresh ideas, that has an insurance technology background um, and being from an organization or born out of an organization like Lockton uh, really was a huge advantage, right? Having the benefit of being a startup and a technology company and having the background um, and the, the expertise that we could pull from um, and the history of a company like Lockton. If you put those together, we thought it was something that was uh, uniquely special. It wasn't me and a couple other people um, in a garage trying to figure out insurance, right? We had real folks that came in, but it was important to us. There are real people that had expertise that, that, that advised us up front and on an ongoing basis. Uh, but we also had enough separation that uh, we could build and do and compete um, in a way that a traditional fintech or insure tech needs to, uh, you know, truly with a technology first mindset, right? And the technology first doesn't mean replacing people, it means empowering them uh, to um, have a better experience, right? To integrate in ways that where things would traditionally have, you know, done, uh, been done on paper. Uh, and I remember when we first started, one of the big Things was like digitizing insurance or our tagline is revolutionize insurance to protect what matters, right? Is not taking an insurance application and putting it online, right? It is making that experience better, right? So that when somebody comes to you, right, you minimize the things that you have to ask, you maximize the value that they get out of it. Um, and if we do that, we think we'll win. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, it, again, it's, it comes back to that customer centric, that customer from the customer forward, rather than, as you say, like, let's take something that's traditionally here and make it a bit better. Does it even need to exist at all? Like, let's ask the customer, let's, let's enable the technology. Um, it, that best of both worlds between, you know, Lockton and a, a spin out, um, you must have had some exceptional market intelligence there. You know, I think a lot of startups, they have to kind of, 
it's almost like the blindfold, like shooting at a, a, a bald board looking for a bullseye, you know, when they're developing new features. The only other limited amount of market intelligence. How useful was is having that level of wisdom uh, from Lockton in developing those initial, those first few features that were getting you on the map? Yeah, not only, I mean, they had, as, as I, when I pitched this idea to Lockton, right, it was, you've got money, right? You've got relationships, right, with carriers. You've got relationships with distribution, right? You've got history and experience. Um, and all of those things not only helped us launch today, right, it makes us better, right? Lockton did small business in different places across the organization, right? And we've sort of rolled that into Milo. So not only are they an owner, not only are they, um, you know, somebody that funded us, they're also a big partner, right, for future business. We're solving a problem, not just for other clients, but also for Lockton. Um, and they, you know, make us better and smarter and, and not, and, and, you know, I like to call it a little bit of an unfair advantage in terms of um, the thing that they help us do on an um, ongoing basis in terms of the experience that we create and the, and the, um, recommendations that we make, right? So Lockton's a huge component. I don't think we'd be here today. I know we wouldn't be here today, right? Without, you know, not only their support, but also their partnership um, and their expertise. Okay, that it is really fascinating that, that sort of synergy between those two types of organizations. I actually call it entrepreneurship versus entrepreneurship, right? Because, you know, we're, we have a bunch of entrepreneurs and we have an entrepreneurial mindset at at Milo, but like we really built the business for the first few years, like inside of Lockton and leveraging uh, what they did. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit different because you have different governance, et cetera. And in some ways it's easier. Mm. In other ways, it's more challenging. Um, and, but, uh, you know, I think it's a little bit of a spin on entrepreneurship because we, you know, we did it uh, inside a company. And then we went out and got outside capital. You know, today we look much more like a uh, you know, traditional, um, you know, fintech and sure tech business. Uh, but, you know, Lockton still is the majority owner and, and a huge component of what we do. And, and what are the challenges to to scale? You know, that is pretty much our our line of work. And, and we always want to know what are those challenges. Um, fintech is highly competitive. Any kind of product-centric technology is, is very, very competitive in the skills space. So what were the challenges you faced as, as a leader of a business going from, you know, though that tight little small and mighty team up to something that was more, um, more, more traditional, as you, as you say, like the, the tools have to change, the way you communicate has to change, reporting lines have to change, uh, you know, the, the, the attrition has different effects at the different how big the business is. So could you just walk us through like some of the main challenges and, and how you overcame those? Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I could talk for, you know, six hours about the main challenges. And then we throw COVID in the middle of it, right? And, you know, and, and sent everybody home on March 12th a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, and, and ironically, we had our best sales day ever to that point in time on the day after March 13th. Um, you know, but when you start, you know, you have an idea, you've got some things you want to try, you can't build everything. So you've got some partners that you bring in. Uh, and then as, you know, you figure out what works, you do more of that, you figure out what doesn't, you do less of that, right? The big challenge is being able to, you know, when you start, it's just you or you and a couple of people, mm -hmm. um, you know, hiring other people who bring expertise to the table. And those people, your needs change over time, right? To you, They change from, you know, just scaling or managing to being able, or, I'm sorry, just launching or managing to really scaling, right? So if the last 
two plus years, right? We've really been focused on scale and the things that we do and the way that we build stuff and the way that we integrate uh, capabilities from um, the, our partners, right? Just ultimately, um, you know, is with the mind too. Like we need to, you know, we grew 160 plus percent a couple of years ago, 100% last year, um, you know, to the, the denominator gets bigger, right? You have to continue to think about how can we grow the top line at an increasing rate, but also uh, become more effective or efficient from a, uh, what we're spending for that growth. And not only have we grown the top line at that rate, right? We have scaled our business such that, um, you know, we've grown the bottom line at a much, much, much lower percentage because we're more efficient using technology. So, I mean, how do you do that? You hire people who have expertise, uh, who can come in and take what you have and build the, continue to build the platform and help you scale, right? So we hired, you know, in the last three years, a COO, a CTO, um, you know, hiring and the COVID world was very different. If you and I would have had this conversation pre-COVID, I would have told you it was very important for everybody to be in the office and have this, uh, you know, little, you know, in inflection points, et cetera. And you know, everybody's been at home for a couple of years and we experienced tremendous growth. And so the ability to adapt and the way the technology allows you to do that, I think is hugely important. And then now as we come back, right, how do we mix those things? Like, how do we get more cohesive? Because we've hired, uh, you know, 50%, you 60% know, of our workforce since COVID started. Right, so some of them haven't actually met each other face to face. You know, I'm, I'm in the office now. Um, as people start trickling back in for the folks that are in our headquarters, uh, there are a lot of people I don't know. Right, I have to introduce myself to lots of people because you know we've gotten much, much, much bigger. So how do we manage that? How do we bring people back? How do we give them flexibility where it makes sense? Um, and you know, I think we have employees in you know ten or fifteen states and overseas, right? And none of that existed right prior to uh, COVID. So how do we scale? How do we build a system that can serve those people? Because we believe that's the way the workforce is and the way it's gonna be, is what, what will allow us to continue the, the not only the, the growth trajectory we're on, but also building efficiencies and making better recommendations in terms of the, you know care, what care, what coverage you need, what care do you need, what's the next best product, how do we service those on an ongoing basis? Right, all of those things have to be done as our business gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, it's hopefully uh, I answered your question. You certainly did. You certainly did. You brought you, you every time you answer a question, you you, you bring up two more. So I think we could probably make this a six-hour podcast, but I promise we'll we'll let you go after an hour. <laughs> we promise. Um, you, you're absolutely right on the the COVID piece. It is monumental. It's the first question on all of our customers' lips. Is you know how do we how do we blend what we've learned over this period back in what is the new normal and i think one of the biggest starkest realizations is that office spaces um you know any kind of tools that people use to to meet up be it online uh, even just rituals and structures are all tools to empower your employees and i think organizations that have recently made massive capital expenditures expenditures on say an office space don't haven't had that mindset shift yet that all their employees have had, which is if I want to use the office, I'll use the office. And if I don't want to use the office, I will not. And if you don't give me that flexibility, there's another organization that will. So I think understanding that your office is just as much a, a tool as your stapler. 
you know, you can't be told to make, use the stapler on Monday to Wednesday if you don't need to use a stapler. Uh, that would be that would be mad. So I think it is, it is a monumental shift, and that the, the organisations that understand how to how to blend those in, a, in an empowering way for their for their employees are the ones that are going to come out ahead. You know, the, the, and just like the rest of our business, you now you know, if you have too much you know, surety, right, you'll just be proven wrong, right? So having the ability to have flexibility um, and being able to iterate right and and make you know you have long-term goals right you have long-term vision right you have relatively near-term plans and then don't be so wedded to those right because the thing that we've you know our first return to office was going to be i think in july when delta happened and then it was going to be in september and uh, omicron happened right and so we have a relatively young workforce and so and they've got kids etc and with daycare you've got to let people plan everything right so then we just said all right we're going to push it and um right so now we're you know we're going to let people start coming back people have been coming back when they want to um and in march and you know and we've it's a guideline right not a it's not set in stone right which i think is a little different if you would ask me three years ago I would have told you we would have been out of space in our headquarters, and I don't think we'll ever be <laughs> right now. And it's not because our um, the people aren't growing; it's because the you know flexibility and the fungibility of how you work and where you work, um, you know, will change. Absolutely. Um, we've spoken a bit about the past, essentially. What where, where were you and what are you now? Um, I suppose you've segued quite nicely into what what does the future look like? You know, the next. 12, 18 months, what does that look like for Milo in terms of features, growth, the, the, the sort of the, the people, the latest stuff we were discussing, what, what does that look like? Yeah, and I mean, it's really all about scaling, right? It's about how do we do more with what we have? How do we um, make our uh, employees more effective, make our agents more efficient, allow potential our customers, individuals, or small businesses uh, to transact more effectively, like moving from um, building baseline capabilities to um, optimizing those and doing a better job of making proactive recommendations, right? If you look like this, if you have these things, this is the insurance that you need, right? And taking the data that we have from um, things that are really, for all intents and purposes, operational um, or reporting, Right, and making them data insights, right, and using you know AI and machine learning are way overused, but you know the words you know like algorithms that we have, and for those transactions that are relatively simple, right, letting a consumer or small business interact with us um, in a much more effective way, and getting a much more consistent recommendation, and for those more complex things, get those people um, in, still provide a great experience, but get them over to subject matter experts more effectively um, and, and, and more efficiently. Um, and, you know, and those things not only help us scale our business, they make the customer experience a better customer experience. And the overlap of those two concentric circles, I think, is where we really want to focus, right? Because um, like growth for growth's sake is not um, ultimately winning, right? Providing a better experience um, as you become more efficient, right? And the cool thing is the technology that we use, the integrations that we do from our partners, um, capabilities that we integrate from our partners and deliver to our clients, um, 
right? It not only makes it a better experience if you go online or you're on your phone, but that same platform is what we use for our agents. And so those same capabilities make it um, not only more efficient, but also a better experience. However, our customers choose to interact with us. And that's really where we're focused. And I, we, at, right before this, we had our leadership team call. And that's the cool thing is that's the stuff coming to life. Like, you know, you, you're like bind online, like for a long time, like people would say bind online, you can't really. And that's sort of still true, but it's moving that way. Right. And I feel like we surf the, it's like surfing a wave, right? You can't catch the break if you're not on the wave. And we're surfing the wave right now. And others are too, uh, because the future will continue to unfold, right? It will unleash uh, better experiences and better uh, efficiency, you know, for companies like us, which lead to better scale. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's really exciting to think, uh, extrapolating, like, were, were you going to be in 18 months with that, with that mindset? And I'm certainly, um, I'm certainly interested to see. Um, you mentioned sort of the people, the leadership sort of calls. I'm interested to know how you and leadership within Milo partners with the talent function within your business like what do you think makes up good rituals and ceremonies between you the demand owners the people with the need and the talent um function who you know deliver that growth for you yes i mean it's a it's the lifeblood right hiring people and you know you, you asked me before sort of one of the things what have you learned from when you started to where you are now and when we started like we had enough um need and there was enough supply of people with certain subject matter expertise right that we could bring them in and help our business grow right the biggest thing that's changed is like for us to grow we have to build uh, and continue to build and recruit people who didn't come from an insurance background right or don't have insurance training but bring skill sets whether those are you know engineers fingers on keys uh, marketing folks, um, sales agents, et cetera. And so how do we do that? And when you bring them in, right, how do you do that? So what we've done is we've, we've partnered with some universities, right, to bring people in, do internships, get to know them, they get to know us, and we build our own pipeline of people, right, um, over time. Uh, and then, like, upgrading and really facilitating training. And training is not just, like, uh, insurance training, but it's who we are, what do we want to be, how do we grow? Yeah. Um, and then ultimately, and this hasn't happened yet, but it will, right? As our business starts to scale, those entry-level positions into the organization start filling other places because they know who you are and what you do. Um, and, you know, we'll at least grow by 50% in terms of number of people over the next 12 months, right? So how do you do that? How do you find them? How do you bring them in? How do you train them up, right? How do you, you know, keep them here and, and keep them engaged? Um, and I'd like to think too, like the way that we think about what we want to be and where we want to go uh, intrigues people and makes this a, a unique place, um, you know, to come work for. Because, you know, I will raise my hand, right? I never thought I'd work in insurance, right? And, uh, and it's been really cool. This is a really fun place to do. We're building really cool things and changing and making better experiences uh, for ultimately consumers. And um, yeah, I, I think more. That, that's a good proposition for potential employees. I, I, I couldn't agree more, particularly on um, 
the the more holistic nature of of the, the of the growth side of things you know it's easy to sort of look at your need and say right i need this many senior engineers with this amount of experience and this many security engineers and this many ai people and then go right go out to market go externally and find them all but you're absolutely right growing your own and seeing seeing talent as a holistic piece of your business you know early careers means that you have to focus more on learning and development which is good for your employer brand um and as you say when there's attrition you can always backfill people with the more junior roles which reduces attrition because people don't leave when they just got promoted and a pay rise they're, they're really happy right um and all of that's how you fill those niche roles and you're always feeding the plant you know with the roots um i could talk for hours about that but i, I absolutely say it is refreshing to not have to um uh not have to drive that narrative to leadership ourselves but to have leadership say to us this is how we already do it. It's, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, there's no, I mean, you know, it's not like we're rocket scientists, right? There's no choice, right? You, you, you know, in order to meet our goals, we need people, right? We need great people. And you can't hire, um, you know, expertise in every place, right? So it's just like I talked about, like scaling our insurance operations. You know, we're scaling the way that we hire, um, attract, or attract, hire, retain our employees, right? And we have to, we have to do that. It is mission critical. Now, there was there was another award that you won. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that as well. And it, I think it brings up an interesting question, which was the was it the Forbes um, best startup uh, award? Please let me know if I'm if I'm getting. Yeah, no, I think that's right. It's uh, yeah, it was Forbes. Um, was it the best tech startup yeah. in Kansas City? Well, we won. We won one of the top startups in Kansas City and the Midwest. You know, Forbes was a InsureTech startup, an award. And the cool thing about all of these are, you know, um, like we don't put our name out there, right? So Forbes, for instance, um, you know, they had like ten thousand eligible employers. It's based on reputation. They use social media, employee um, feedback, reviews, average length of employment growth and headcount, website traffic, et cetera. And so it's really organic. And, you know, Forbes obviously is a big name. Um, and we were very proud. We were proud to like get recognized for all the work that we're doing, but we're very proud um, from that perspective as well. And like, you know, being a top insured tech in Kansas City is important if you're hiring people in Kansas City. But as we go more national, um, you know, having, you know, Forbes recognize what our employees say about us and what they, what our clients say about us um, is, is really cool too. And I think it, it bodes well and helps us from a recruiting standpoint. Yeah. I mean, I, was, you, I kind of already answered some of the questions around the metrics that was being used to decide that. And I think if I didn't ask you, you know, what were the unique selling points? What do you think, uh, you know, set your business apart from all of the others to win that award? I'd be, I'll be doing our listeners a disservice. So, like, you know, what 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 do you feel was the overall, what what was the winner? You know, obviously there was some metrics around employee uh, feedback and so on. But what do you felt? What what do you feel drives that positive feedback that allow you to have won that award? Um, yeah, for specifically, you know, I, I don't know what their algorithm is, right? I was just, I I do know that. Um, you know, they look at social media interactions, not only for uh, for what we put out there, but for what other people say about us, yeah. right? How our employees engage, 
um, employee satisfaction, which you can find on Glassdoor or other places. Um, uh, you know, on so employees talking about what it's like to work here, right? And you can't be perfect. Nobody, you know, not everybody loves every place, but like I think the overwhelming things that are out there and the fact that it was digital in nature, which dovetails very nicely with our business, um, I think were the things that they looked at. And you know, if I'm hopeful we can continue to you know be on that list. We're very, as I said, proud to you know do that. And it's not like like we're out there trying to do that, right? This was recognition that came to us yeah. because of the way that we operate. Um, and I think that is uh, you know really, really positive feedback for our team challenge is as you get bigger it gets harder right so how do we continue to uh, you know do those things that um, add value and 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 quit doing those things or do fewer of the things that uh, that take away that's the challenge yeah how do you stay true to your value and brands when the tools all have to change the structure of your organization has to change as you grow and um that that you're absolutely right that certainly is the the, the, the top line challenge isn't it um uh, we're getting uh, kind of close to the end of our time, but there was a couple of other bits I was keen to ask you. Um, sure. First of all, the uh, you, I think you're an interesting individual in this space where you uh, you feel I feel your career is like a bookend of you know you you know the traditional sort of insurance space inside and out from your time in JP Morgan, and obviously you know you're at the forefront of the the insure tech piece now. Um, we spoke a lot about Milo and and, uh, and whatnot, but um, I'm keen to know from your point of view, you know what what have you what did you learn is there anything from the jp morgan from the traditional institutions that you've learned that has enabled you to be a success in in a newer more disruptive business oh yeah i mean jp morgan was a phenomenal place i started a well i was on a team of people um i didn't really start it i was a young person right that started a, a retirement business that you know we, we got our first client i was on the, one of the first seven employees and i talked about entrepreneurship that, that happened inside um, another mutual fund company in Kansas City. And there was a mentor, a guy I worked for um, named Tom Kamak, who like was the visionary behind, behind that. And it, it was entrepreneurially grown. And then JP Morgan came in, we operated as a joint venture. JP Morgan bought the rest of the business. And so I went from doing little deal, went from answering the phones to carrying a sales guy's bag to doing a bunch of small deals to doing billion dollar deals with JP Morgan. And um, yeah, billion dollar retirement plans. And it was really like, great. It was awesome. Right. It, I wish I could say I had a grand plan and, you know, went out and found it, but having the opportunity to, to meet and work in that business and inside of uh, JP Morgan as it scaled itself. Right. And seeing the evolution of that business and, and, you know, the challenges of what you build or don't build or, you know, doing presentations in boardrooms of fortune 100 companies Right. All of those things were great. Right. But it also like having been a part of that entrepreneurial experience, growing that retirement business, um, like laid the groundwork for, you know, me being able to do this. Right. And it gave me the, uh, you know, belief when that happened that, you know, that I could build something. There was an opportunity here. Um, and, you know, and then, you know, you, you take what you know and you learn more. Right. Uh, and you have a thesis and you start marching down the path and you have to be smart enough to go, that's working. That's not, I'm going to do more of that. I'm going to quit doing that. And you have to be um, lucky enough or good enough to, to attract great people that are awesome at things that you're not. And then you have to be <laughs> intelligent enough to get out of their way. 
right? Which sometimes is the hardest thing. And, um, you know, if, if, if on our journey, right, I'd say if it's a hundred yard field, we're on our own, you know, 30 yard line, right? We're, you know, we, we have there's so much more we can do. And the good news is like things are, you know, trending in the right direction. We've got strong ownership. Uh, I've got a great leadership team. I've been lucky enough to be able to hire people who are really, really talented. Um, and, um, you know, and I, I really think that, you know, our ability to scale what we're doing and how we're doing it, et cetera, um, is, you know, we're in a good place. It's, it's really exciting to, to sort of see, the, to hear about that journey. And I'm, I'm excited to think about where you guys are going to be in 12, 18 months. It, it actually segues perfectly to my, my kind of last question, which is a lot of our listeners are actually people in a uh, similar space to yourself, maybe in the, the, the kind of the early stages of a scale-up journey, founder CEOs and so on. And I always uh, try to ask if there's a single piece of advice you could give to that group of people, maybe your younger self, or I think that's a little bit twee of, an, of a question, but certainly, you know, for, for uh, founders, leaders who are at the start, beginning of that journey, is there a single piece of advice you would give to, to that layer of people yeah i mean i'm not sure it's a single piece of advice i think uh you know anything life has taught me it's patience way more than i ever thought i would uh because you know everybody or everything takes longer and tends to cost more than you ever think it will right and so you know having good backers is hugely important Mm -hmm. um and you know being able to you know understand that and being resilient is probably you know, the uh, hardest part, certainly the last four or five years of, of what we've done here. Fantastic. I think, it's a, I think it's an excellent piece of advice, patience and resilience. What, what more do you need? Um, well, David, thank you so much for your time. Again, I think I've got about two hours more questions. So next time you're in Scotland, uh, hit me up and I'll, I'll ask you a few more questions if that's okay. I'll do it. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Luke. Thanks a lot, David. Thanks.